0: I'm going to be reading Mark chapter 10, verse 46 to 52. Then they came to Jericho, As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a bland mind, Bartimus, which means son of Titus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road.
1: Well, it's our last Sunday here at Germania, and uh, I've always thought there was a sense of irony of an Englishman pastoring a church in the German banquet hall, but uh, we're moving uh, to Ryerson. I know, that was my first joke when we first met, it's still getting a laugh. That's always good. So uh, we're going to be transitioning out, and so this message is a bit of a one-off, and It's less looking back, it's a bit more looking forward. And so I was praying, uh, as you do, about what would be a message that would be appropriate. And all week, and for the last few weeks actually as I was praying, this story of blind Bartimaeus just kept rumbling around in my heart and my soul. And so I'm just going to share this morning some things that have stood out to me from reflecting on the scripture this morning, especially as we move in to a new space. And I believe actually into a new season, it's interesting when we look at the scripture, when God's people move geographically, it's more than just a geographic move. When you look throughout the scripture, God is doing something in his people when they move. And so for us moving, for many of us, it's just more space with better children's facilities and a better kitchen. But for others, hopefully we'll values to see that I think there's something more going on there than that. So there's less preamble because there's so much in the text this morning and I'm aware of time. So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn to Mark chapter 10. And what we're going to do this morning is just walk through the scripture together. We fully believe the scripture forms and shapes us as God's people, it's not just a few tidbits here and there to give us good thoughts for the day, but it's actually the thing that shapes who we are as people. So we'll look at the text together, and then out of that, just maybe three implications that I think for us at St. Clair as we live in Hamilton, Ontario in 2019. It starts out by saying this. Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city. So Jesus is on his way through Jericho to Jerusalem, and in order to get to Jerusalem, Jesus would have had to pass through Jericho, and Jesus is going to the Passover festival, which is in Jerusalem, which also signifies the last week of Jesus's life. So this event is kind of the bridge event towards what's going to happen with Passion Week and Jesus ultimately being crucified and rising again. So initially, it looks like he's just going through Jericho on his way somewhere else, which is uh, often how it works in our lives. We think we're on our way somewhere, but the journey seems to be more important than the destination with God. There was a large crowd as they were leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside, begging So this large crowd was following Jesus. This uh, carpenter from Nazareth, who is a rabbi who taught with wisdom, has started to garner some attention and be well-known within the community. And so as he's walking through, there's a large crowd that are there gathered because they've heard Jesus is on his way. And by the roadside, in the midst of this crowd, there is a blind man begging That seems an obvious detail, but Mark is trying to say something here. Bartimaeus is an outcast from society. Probably every day he sat by the side of the road, just hoping someone would pay attention to him. What's scary about the Gospels is the amount of times Jesus pays attention to the people who everyone else has forgotten about. In a world of upward mobility, where we're scrambling desperately to be known and to be seen, Jesus seems to look through that veneer and look for the people that no one else looks for. He was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. We're all good, polite Canadians and Brits here. And so whenever someone starts to make a bit of a ruckus for many of us, Imagine being there, part of you would think, who is this person? They're disrupting a quite peaceable process of Jesus walking through. It maybe seems like Bartimaeus is causing some trouble to many around him. But he's shouting, son of David, have mercy on me. Which we think, oh, that's a name for Jesus. But Bartimaeus is being very intentional here. He could have said, Jesus, son of Joseph. He could have said, Jesus of Nazareth, with Mark says before that. He says, son of David, have mercy on me. Why is that significant? Because in Jewish culture, that was a name for the coming Messiah. In the Old Testament, the prophets had said that the Messiah, the one who would be God's savior, the one who is going to restore Israel, would come out of the line of David. So Bartimaeus assumes or even thinks this might be the Messiah. It's also interesting because he's blind. Maybe that seems obvious to you, but what's interesting is There's Old Testament scriptures that specifically say one of the key things that will distinguish who is the Messiah is the one who opens the eyes of the blind. Throughout the Old Testament, people were healed of leprosy. Maybe miracles happened. We see that with Moses and Elijah. We even see people being raised from the dead. But eyes being opened and the blind seeing is a sign that not everyone else is doing that, but that is a sign of the Messiah. Listen to this from Isaiah thirty-five, that hopefully is on the screen, verse three: Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearless, heart, fearful hearts, "Be strong, do not fear. Your God will come; He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you." So this is what it looks like when God shows up. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf. Unstopped. What Bartimaeus recognizes is maybe this man who is coming through Jericho is actually the long-awaited Messiah. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. There's this beautiful scene. In fact, some commentators wonder if even the disciples were trying to shut him up. Because in other cases, they were saying, oh, you know, keep the children away or Jesus don't feed them. It's getting late. Maybe you should send them home. So some are wondering whether it's the crowd or the disciples. Like Jesus has got a really important thing to do here. He's on his way to Jerusalem. We don't have time to be slowed down by this outcast by the side of the road. But Bartimaeus, I love this character in the scripture. He seems to be untroubled by that. He thinks if this is the Messiah, this is my chance. I have one chance and I'm going to shout out as loud as I can to get his attention. What I love about the story is the only person with vision to have eyes to see who the Messiah is, is actually the blind man. Isn't that really interesting? There is to me, there only seems to be one person who truly gets Jesus, and it's the man who has no sight. Isn't that often the case for us? Maybe some of us have our education, we see clearly what our culture looks like, and yet often we miss Jesus in the midst of it. I love Bartimaeus' Bartimaeus, prayer. Son of David, have mercy on me. That's a prayer that I think often I pray in my own life. Verse 49, Jesus stopped and said, call him. Jesus is annoyingly interruptible. Has anyone ever noticed that in the life of Jesus? He seems to just have time for people and not be in a rush. In a world of pacing around and busyness of life, I'm one of those people who doesn't have time to look around because I'm going somewhere and I have purpose. And yet Jesus seems he's going to Jerusalem to the Passover, eventually to the cross. So I'm sure he's preoccupied with a lot of things And yet he stops and has these beautiful words, call him. The beggar, the one who feels he has no hope, the one who everyone else has forgotten about, is called by the Messiah. So they call to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. I've always loved that but It sounds very English. Cheer up, old chap. He's calling you. But I love that sense of this is a joyful thing. The Messiah, who not everyone else recognizes, but this deeply significant prophetic rabbi is calling out to someone who everyone else has forgotten about. If you are here and you think Jesus has forgotten about you because of all these reasons, this morning we're reminded he always looks for those who are just looking back at him. Maybe you feel like you've got no hope and you've been cut off. This story reminds us this morning, there is always hope. And as I was praying for some of you this morning, I sense some of you need to hear again, he's calling you. Think about that crowd who was there. It's a pretty large crowd, lots of people following, very significant people. But Jesus seems to say, no, it's him he's calling. And I would say some of you need to remind yourselves he has not forgotten about you, but he's calling you. Not because you're qualified, but just because he is. Verse 50, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. Again, a small detail but deeply significant. The cloak for a beggar was really important. It was his place of shelter in the evening, but also his place he would garner all of the money that he needed. So he'd throw his cloak out by the roadside and people would throw money into it and then he would gather that up. See, his cloak was his identity. And it says he throws his cloak aside and gets up to follow Jesus. Oh, isn't that the case of the good news of Jesus? When we hear good news, Jesus is saying, there's a lot of things you need to shed so you can come to me. And Bartimaeus says, it's worth giving up all those things because here is the source of life itself. So Bartimaeus gets up at this point, he isn't healed, but he still trusts in Jesus that he is good enough. He jumps to his feet and comes to Jesus Verse 51, what do you want me to do for you, Jesus asks him. Maybe you don't read the Bible like me. I read it very comedically. This seems very obvious. (laughs) Do you not think so? There's a blind man by the side of the road begging and Jesus says, hey, what do you want me to do for you? Thanks, Jesus. That's very helpful. It's a stating the obvious kind of process here. But I think Jesus is getting at something very deep here. And what's really interesting is Jesus had asked the same question a few verses earlier. The story before this, I think Mark is very intentional, is the story of James and John with Jesus. And Jesus says to James and John, what do you want me to do for you? His disciples, those closest to him, and they say... Not, Jesus, we want to know you more. They say, when you come into your kingdom and you have ultimate authority, we want to sit on your right and on your left. What a great and honest response. Again, Mark is saying, the disciples say, we want power. That's what we most long for. Bartimaeus says, I just want to see. It's interesting that the first person that seems Bartimaeus sees when he opens his eyes is Jesus. There's this beautiful contrast that I think hits deeply to us this morning. What do we actually want Jesus to do for us? Do we go after Jesus for who he is or for what he can give us? The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Verse 52, go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. In the original language, that's the word for healed is sozo, which is where we get the word salvation. So in many ways, you could translate it, your faith has rescued you or saved you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Some translation says, follow Jesus along the way, which again, I think is Mark being intentional. He's not just saying Bartimaeus physically followed Jesus down the road, although that is true. What Mark is saying is Bartimaeus started to follow Jesus as a disciple. He followed him along the way, which was the name given to the earliest followers of Jesus. For Bartimaeus, it wasn't enough to say, Jesus, thanks for what you've done in healing my sight. Bartimaeus realized this now means a lifelong commitment to following the way of Jesus. So what does this mean for us today as we look forward as a community? There's just a few things that came to mind. There were three specifically. Uh, One is, what do you want Jesus to do for you? The second is, throw off your cloak. And the third is, who are you following? And I'll be pretty brief this morning. The first is, what do you want Jesus to do for you? That's a question that goes beyond maybe our surface answers. You know, in Canadian culture, we always say, how are you doing? Fine. That's our natural response. Often we often say, how is the walk with Jesus? Oh, doing well. Maybe you should read my Bible more. But I think this gets at the deeper question of what do we most long for? Do we long for the benefits of following Jesus or do we long for Jesus himself? Augustine says, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in thee. The part of this story that really stood out to me the most as I was reading it was when the crowd try and quiet Bartimaeus down. It says he shouts even louder. Whenever God moves in our lives and in a community, he starts with garnering within us this white hot faith. Stuart Piggin, who's an Australian theologian and writer, says all moves of God in history have started with people having a white, hot faith. He would say, Jesus, you're worth everything I've got. What I love is Bartimaeus seems to say, I will follow this man no matter what anyone else seems to say. I find this interesting because maybe you're like me, you always get told in our culture, passion, extreme passion is scary or worrisome. Maybe the idea of being a zealot or being too passionate about something can be terrifying to people, and it scares them. And yet here we see an example of passion. What's interesting is I'm always told, Matt, you probably need to tone it down a bit. Don't be so passionate for Jesus. Be more sensible. You never know where it's going to get you. It could get you in trouble because it could lead you to a life of not having a lot and putting yourself in difficult places and situations. Your life may even be at risk. Tone down the passion. And then this week, I turned on my television set and I noticed a whole lot of passion in our culture. If you could just put up the next slide there, James. Two million people showed up to Toronto because they were passionate about a guy who threw a ball into a net pretty consistently and better than another team from California, which I was very excited about. I have no interest in basketball. I've never watched basketball in my whole life. And now I'm a Kawhi Leonard stat freak. I know everything about his life. And I know everything about all the uh, terms that we should use while watching basketball. I saw some of my friends who will not be mentioned in this room getting very excited about basketball. There's another slide I think should be the next one. I think this was the evening of the NBA finals when they won. And people tell me, oh, you shouldn't be too passionate and it's dangerous to be passionate in our culture. Bartimaeus shouts to the point where people say, well, you need to calm down a bit. And he is saying... The one who created the cosmos, who's going to free us and rescue us from all bondage and oppression that we've ever suffered from historically is walking in front of me and you'd just like me to say, oh, please, son of David, if, if you notice me, it'd be nice if you took pity upon me. That's, that's how I would respond because it's very polite and that's how I talk to the queen. He shouts because he longs for Jesus. Philip Yancey says this, as I travel, I've observed a pattern, a strange historical phenomenon of God moving geographically from the Middle East to Europe to North America to the developing world. My theory is this, God goes where he's wanted. The second thing that I noticed was this idea of Bartimaeus throwing off his cloak. This is just tied somewhere to identity for me as we move forward as a community and as I was praying for us, I think there's a sense this morning that, that the Lord would want to say, there's certain things in our life that we just need to shed because they're holding us back. There's things that we've been told, lies that we've listened to, maybe fears, anxieties, maybe an addiction we find ourselves in. And here's what we think. We just don't think Jesus is as good as he says he is. But what strikes me in the Gospels is when Jesus says, come that you may have life and have it to all its fullness. I intellectually know that is true, but I don't know if I actually believe it. But is Jesus lying? That's a good question to ask. Do we actually think Jesus is lying? Or do we actually think he's saying, come into a new way of life? What would it look like to throw off some of the things that are holding us back to step into life with Jesus. And I think this morning's a simple response of, he's calling you, what will your response be to that? And T. Wright, when writing about this story, says this. For Bartimaeus to ask for his sight would mean not only having the faith that Jesus could do and would do it, It would mean having the faith that he could set off on a whole new life. Do we think the one who is calling us is as good as he says he is? What this morning do you need to lay down to take afresh the life of Jesus? I was reflecting as we were praying for the dedications this morning, that each week we gather, when we gather in our missional family, when we gather like this, it's actually a fresh week of dedicating ourselves back to God. It's like weekly we say, I'm recommitting in front of a community to follow Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Throw off your cloak. And the last one is, who are you following? I think we're all following someone or something. Maybe for some of it's ourselves. Maybe for someone, it's someone we deeply admire maybe someone it's some vocational path that we're on maybe someone it's a lifestyle that we hope for but in some ways we're all following David Foster Wallace says we all worship the question is who will what we worship and in this story when Bartimaeus has his eyes opened it says he follows Jesus on the way so maybe the question as we move forward as a community is whose voice is the loudest for us and who are we following? See, when we set out as a community, we didn't just set, set out to gather and have a nice community that gathered each Sunday that could grow and grow. We're so thankful for the growth God has done in our midst. But we always long to be a community. He said, Jesus is the ultimate one that we're following. This week, I read an absolutely brilliant quote by Dallas Willard. And uh, maybe I'll close with this because it, it seems very appropriate. He said, he made his living as a university professor and a philosopher. And in doing that, he said, I was frequently asked the question in so many words, why do you follow Jesus Christ? Willard would always pause and say for a moment, who else do you have in mind? I love that. Who else are we going to follow? As John would write, as Peter says, where else are we going to go? As we move forward as a community, it's my prayer, my dream, that we would afresh fall in love with Jesus. We would shed the things that are holding us back and step into new life with him.